For the past 40 years, the Barna Group has been leading the way in researching the latest trends impacting our churches, schools, and homes. In this unique episode, you will hear the interview that I had with David Kenneman, the CEO of the Barna Group. And in this short interview, we cover topics that range from the latest research on Gen Z, basically our K-12 age students, to the state of the church today and ways that our schools can be better partners, to David's own wisdom that he has based on his research for parents who are raising children in our ever-swirling and changing world. All this and more on this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here. Special shout out to Lindsay Setliff. She is launching a brand new classical Christian school this month in New Bronzeville, Texas. She and her husband, along with about four other families, have just come together. It's a brand new collaborative classical school. Uh, Lindsay, thanks for emailing. Let me know what's going on. We certainly will be praying for you. And I know many other schools are launching for the very first time as classical Christian schools are growing and popping up all over the world. Lindsay, thanks for being a faithful Basecamp Live listener. You know, the vision for Basecamp Live in terms of topics and who we're interviewing, there is a method to my madness. I know sometimes uh, topics range by design very uh, significantly from from week to week. Um, There is a method to the madness. The idea is that there are really kind of three buckets or three topic areas that I'm conscious of when I think about what would make a good interview. One of them is simply what's happening in our culture. There is certainly no Um, constant state of things around us. God is on the throne, but the world is always changing. How do we adapt within uh, reason, given given that we are uh, following an unchanging God and we're trying to be faithful to the traditions of classical Christian education? But what's happening in their culture? That's what this interview is about with David Kinneman. But we also look under the second topic of really classical 101, because so many of us didn't begin and have a classical Christian education, whether we are parents or educators listening. And so we try to basically translate what's happening in the world of classical Christian education to um, to all of us sort of serving in the everyday world of our schools. And so topics range from, you know, why do we teach Latin, as you know, to um, great books and very basic questions and sometimes not so basic questions about how our schools work and function. So classical 101. And then the third category is really parenting 101. And our good friend Keith McCurdy is often on for those episodes, but we also talk about other trends and impacts of parenting and raising the next generation. But all that to say, always excited to hear your suggestions and ideas. We have a growing list of um, new potential interviews that are coming up. So love to hear from you. Info at Basecamp Live. Com. And also special thanks to our sponsors for this episode, the Focus Group, CLT, that's the Classic Learning Test, and CAP, Classic Academic Press. This interview that you're about to hear is one that I did this summer on Zoom with David Kenneman, and then we adapted it um, after we had presented it live at the SCL conference this summer. Um, it has been nearly 40 years ago <clears throat> that the Barna Group began conducting Research. I think they've interviewed some 2 million plus people over the course of thousands of studies, and they have really become a go-to source for insights about faith and culture, leadership and vocation, and what's happening 
in our modern with our modern generation, our students today. The Barna Group has carefully and strategically tracked the role of faith in America, developing one of the most comprehensive databases of spiritual indicators. And of course, if you've been listening to Basecamp Live for a while, you've heard Brooke Hempel, who has also been with the Barna Group, who's been on to share other perspectives about what's happening in our culture today. But very excited about this interview. David Kenneman is the author and best-selling uh, writer of the book Faith for Exiles. He's also written Good Faith. He's written You Lost Me and Unchristian. He is the CEO of the Barna Group, and he has been um, at the helm of this working again since he started in 1995, um, overseeing and directing many of these interviews and studies. He lives in California with his three children, and he was gracious enough to join us and give words of encouragement to those of us in classical Christian education. So without further ado, here's my interview with David Kinneman. Well, David Kinneman, welcome to the SCL Summer Conference. I wish you could join us here in person. Well, maybe next time. It's so good to join you. Well, but you know, it is June in Dallas, so that probably is a better idea to be there uh, in more comfortable California. We are so glad to have you and to have your insights. Just begin by reminding folks who is the Barna Group, what it is that you guys do every day. Yeah, happy to. Um, Barna Group has been in business now for almost 40 years, uh, started by George and Nancy Barna. I got a chance to work with them for uh, almost 15 years and uh, came straight out of college, started working with them. And Barna is a social research organization focused at the intersection of faith and culture. And so we're doing polling, social research, qualitative, quantitative, uh, all for the sake of Christian uh, Christians, Christian leaders to make sense of their times and understand what to do. That uh, vision is derived from First Chronicles 12, 32, the people of Issachar who understood the times and had some sense of what do we do with this? And so um, times are changing. Uh, we need to read the signs of the times. We've been through a cataclysm of change over the last couple of years. And so it is a pleasure to sort of stand on the, the walls to be the eyes and ears uh, of uh, Christian leaders to try to understand what's happening. What do we make of it? What does faithfulness look like? What is God calling us to do? How can we be uh, sort of effective, faithful, fruitful in these days? Yeah. And I love your tagline, knowledge to navigate the changing world or a changing world. So that's that's what we need. So, David, really, first question is those who are listening to you right now are, are pouring their lives into the next generation as educators, as parents. And our focus is really that Gen Z group that is born between 99 and 2015, essentially, who form our K-12 student population. And as you're just saying, there has been a lot of shifting and changing going on around us. Um, give us some updates, just what's happening with that generation that we should be especially attentive to. Well, I think mission to and for and with Gen Z is one of the most important callings uh, any of us could have. And um, one of the ways I think about this is that I don't believe that in large part, the, the Christian community, churches, Christian leaders, congregations are pre well prepared for Generation Z. I, I don't think Christian schools are. I don't think Christian families, I don't think a lot of the ways that we have thought about sort of discipleship will work in the same ways with Gen Z. Uh, they're asking different questions, the pressures they're facing, the speed of culture, the speed of change, uh, the discipleship that happens off these things called our smartphones and our devices uh, is, pr is pretty profound. And so um, <clears throat> I think, first of all, just to encourage you, um, you know, the role of Christian education is so important. We can talk a little bit about this over our few minutes together, but um, I see all of these changes that are coming, coming down the road for young people, questions of gender and gender identity, questions of sex and sexuality, questions of, of work and meaning and success and achievement. 
questions of you know mental health and depression and loneliness and isolation and bullying and on, online versus in-person faithfulness and so many more things. Um, and so, you know, you look at, you look at this generation and, and I, I just sort of, I think they're smart. I think they're connected. I think they're ambitious. I think they have the chance to do some really cool things in the world. And, and then speaking into Christian education, um, what's really happened over the last number of decades is that the institutions that God has put on earth to help form human beings, households, churches and schools, which are the three places where God, like this is where we form souls, we form character. Um, workplaces have a formative effect, but they're not primarily designed to form souls. Uh, the public square, the commercial, uh, you know, sort of venues, uh, the marketplace, um, even politics, those aren't, they, they're formative in a way, but they're not designed by God to, to be a formational place. Um, so schools, churches, and households are the places where God says, this is where we become who we're meant to be. This is what we sort of take this raw stuff of our bodies and become what God intended us to be. And the challenge that I see is that there's been this downward pressure, this, this in incredible uh, set of challenges that, that households, churches, and schools have faced. And, and, I, and I, think, I think schools are sort of the best place. I mean, households are, are, are really important and they're at the center and the primary job of response, responsibility of discipleship is the parents. Um, school, the churches too have this place of, you know, bringing people into right alignment with Jesus. But, but schools are so important because they're the one place where we have this chance to sort of, sort of re-articulate what it means to live as Christians in a, a, with a smart, connected, ambitious generation. Um, and so I think what you guys are doing, how you're doing it is so important. And, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be able to try to stay informed at the, at the leading edge as best we can at what's happening with Gen Z. Yeah, and that's a great, great reminder. You know, you're, as you're describing the household and the and the church and the school, we sometimes use the, the analogy of the three-legged stool. And obviously it's not going to stand up well if one of those legs is not intact and carrying its its weight. And, and that's, the, I think, a real difficulty as classical Christian educators, because we don't have control over the domain of the church and the domain directly of the home. Um, and again, it has been a very disruptive uh, last couple of years, for sure, with COVID and everything else. But maybe just looking at that leg uh, of it, of of what's happening in the church, because I think, again, we have students walk in our school building. We hope they were at church on Sunday. We hope there was some uh, Bible taught along the way. But again, as you look from that research vantage point, what are you seeing with regard even to believing parents who would check the box, they go to church, but how has church involvement and attendance shifted here in the last few years? And maybe how can we be more supportive as educators of our local churches? Yeah. So, you know, maybe to double click on why those other two legs are, are weaker than ever and without any cynicism or criticism, because I think it's, it's possible for us in Christian education in any industry, right? Like, churches can blame schools or parents. Right. So we, we can all sort of look at others and say, well, they're the ones that really aren't doing the job. Um, but it is true that um, for, for, for most churches, you know, people just aren't coming that often. And certainly they weren't coming that often, even before COVID, a really regular church going family came 1.7 times per month. And you're just not going to disciple, you're just not going to have the kind of sturdy theology and biblical thinking and, and teaching that's required to live in any context, much less the modern, you know, digital context, what I call digital Babylon. Um, and so um, churches are struggling because they just don't have the hours, the FaceTime with people. And I think there's times where we, we've 
kind of gone to this place of trying to entertain young people and and kids, teens, young adults, um, as opposed to really like the educational muscle of like, you've got to learn this content in order to really live well in the world. Um, and households too, it's like if, if parents don't have it, they're certainly not going to be able to convey it to their, to their young people, to their kids. Um, and so schools stand in this gap, I think, of trying to, to serve a big word, pedagogical sort of like, you know, sort of dam, a, a sort of a pedagogical fortress against the kind of challenges that we have. And I'm just a huge believer that part of the crisis we have across the whole church is a learning crisis. We have a, a we have, you know, churches are using the the rhetorical tools of homiletics and sermons. And, you know, at, at worst, they dumb it down and it's just a sort of simple, like get saved and don't have sex kind of messages. Um, and it's, that's again, not to be cynical. And that's of course, churches do much more than that. But, but, you know, I think we need a, a we need a, a reformation of our, our learning. We need a reformation of how we think about Christian education, about catechism, about, about experiences, about like who are these young people and how do, then do we customize, do we personalize uh, the discipleship efforts? And if we think to ourselves, well, you know, how, what do you mean customize or personalize? I mean, these algorithms every day are doing this for us. And how much more should the church be able to understand and know how God has wired these young people uh, to be a masterpiece in Christ Jesus? Mm -hmm. And so um, I just get very passionate about the opportunities that we have as Christian educators to be part of that solution uh, as part of that, you know, that important triangle, that important stool of, you know, church, home and, and school. And how can we then be the, the place where learning and a certain kind of learning is, is front and center and is really at the heart of what it means to disciple young people. So it really sounds like in as much as we want all three legs to be carrying their own weight, there are times that we're going to have to be as the educators, it may be a bit of a surrogate role to help under, under, right under support the role of of what churches do whether it's biblical knowledge or just um, again just hours in the week that we have so that's right yeah and i think a good example of that would be um we'll just just spend a minute kind of experimenting with some ideas here so um <clears throat> you know one of the things we see obviously so so someone observed recently to me that the smartphone is the closest thing that we've ever um, invented as human beings to the Holy Spirit. It's a, a ever-present help in time of trouble, <laughs> of lost directions. Uh, you know, we see evidence in the research that young people are, um, they're Googling uh, signs of being depressed and anxiety and what does it mean to feel in love? Um, you know, they're, they're, it's their best friend, it's their counselor, it's their sex educator. Uh, it, is, it is their portal to a big, broad world, much bigger than any of us could possibly imagine and contain. Um, and there's a certain sort of nihilism of endless and infinite opportunities and options that I think settles in. <clears throat> well, we need a rich theology of life in the screen age. And, and we don't just sort of teach this at young people. We actually need to sort of learn this alongside <clears throat> um, Gen Z. And I think this is actually one of the great opportunities that Christian education provides is to teach us all together at once. Um, there are things, again, that educators will have that students would not, but there are things students will have that educators will not. It's a kind of reverse reciprocal mentoring that I think is a, a beautiful expression of the body of Christ at its best. And um, when it comes to how do we live well with our screens, how do we think about, um, I've, I've been arguing for a few years now that we need a theology of dystopian fiction uh, because we live in a type of dystopian world and young people are very drawn to those kinds of stories and, and, and well, they should. It's like, it's why fiction works is 
it helps us tell something that seems to be true or broken in the world. And, and so imagine, you know, sort of teaching about this stuff. And again, classical Christian education, like there's opportunities then to be reading and understanding literature and stories that, um, that define what it means to be human. And um, I just think there's such a great opportunity. And I, I even would love to see some of that kind of um, that kind of thinking, like what does it mean to, 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 to think well, to consume this content where everyone's streaming so much content how do we consume it and then think theologically, biblically about what it is we're seeing? And, and I just think young people uh, are just just hungry for that. I know many of the schools and, and educators are doing just that very thing. But what an exciting time to be educating Gen Z, um, you know, at, especially even as a, at a period of time when uh, the cataclysm of all of these crises, racial injustice and, and reconciliation and political challenges and and um, you know the the, the climate change and and environmental challenges. Um, you, you know, I know there's debates around those things, uh, and 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 the pandemic and public health and mental health. And you know, I, I just think we have we have a great responsibility uh, to to educate alongside, um, sometimes too, and often with this next generation. I think that's well said. And a good reminder, David. I was I call it the 301 problem. We classical educators kind of control the 745 to three. In the afternoon, but 301, um, Cyclops, the one-eyed screen monster, lights up for the next seven to nine hours. So we're in the battle for stories. We're in a battle for the affections. And I think that's a really good point that we need to be during our uh, our window of influence to be able to have those conversations. And what do we do with this technology? And, you know, other than let's all go burn our phones in the parking lot, kind of an attitude. Like we've got to, we got to, this is the world God's put us in to engage and serve as educators. So that's, that's great advice. Um, never heard about the Holy Spirit as a piece of technology, at least that we don't have to plug the Holy Spirit in, I guess that's the good <laughs> news there. Um, let's shift to that other leg of this tool, looking um, or speaking into really parents uh, and just love advice, wisdom that you have. Again, we talk technology. I know that's always in the top of parents' minds, but what are other uh, habits or practices that we should be embracing as parents? Well, uh, I would like to go to a, a section of scripture where Paul is writing to Timothy, and he um, he says to Timothy, "Remember the faith of your your mother and your grandparents, um, and it's the same faith that sort of lit them up that is now defining you." And uh, I actually think there's some really cool spiritual practices that we might want to try. Um, you know, you know, um, coming into the new school year in in the fall. Uh, and that could include an interesting kind of like spiritual heritage project, or it could include, you know, interviewing uh, our parents or grandparents or others who've been um, key stakeholders in our in our faith development. Uh, and if young people maybe don't even have a faith, there's probably opportunities for them uh, to, to, to to sort of think broadly about what that might look might, might look like. But but um, I say this because the one piece of advice that I would really give to parents, and then by extension to classical educators. Uh, is that um, Paul uh, continues on by saying um, that God has given us, well, he says to fan into flame the spiritual gifts by laying on of hands. And that, again, I think is a really cool part of this commissioning that I think this new generation um, really needs and wants to, it's not maybe not even just a one-time event, but we're going to continue to, to fan into flames these spiritual gifts. And then he finally says, God has given us a, 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 not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and sound mind. And I think there's an interesting kind of like, you know, in this context of a, a mentoring kind of conversation, Paul is saying to Timothy, remember your faith, your legacy, 
let's all as a community, like think about stirring up spiritual gifts and language that I think we need to recover. Um, and, and then, and then let's not have a spirit of fear. And the one thing I would say to parents is that, uh, we see this over and over in our research that the parents of Gen Z, as were the parents of millennials, we are way too fearful about things going wrong, about our kids being exposed, about, you know, being able to control friends. We do not control anything in the lives of our, of our kids. Um, God himself is the keeper of souls is the Prince of peace is, you know, the, the creator and, and, and our maker. And as parents, of course, we have the stewardship responsibility to put in guidelines and guardrails. Uh, but I think this generation, the more we try to control them, I mean, this is just human nature and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs teach us these kinds of things. The more we try to control and squeeze, uh, the, the more this is just going to just be, this generation is going to go out of the tube. Uh, and, um, and so, and, and off the rails, <laughs> they're open, they're an open generation and they're open to friends and ideas and perspectives and they're open to everything, but they are really, really open. And we have this great responsibility to help steward this. So I would say, let's not give in to a spirit of fear. Let's not be afraid of these difficult conversations of training and thinking, uh, alongside, let's not be afraid of difficult questions. It, the questions don't mean that young people are losing their faith. Um, we can't be even afraid of the, the, the challenges that they're going to bring. And so I think that, you know, even when we did the study about missions, the biggest impediment to a generation going and serving in missions is the parents are too fearful that their kids won't live up to the expectations and make the money and be the, you know, be the boss. And, uh, and so we have a generation that's sort of more willing to take these risks than their parents are willing to let them go and do the things that I think a gospel imagination might require of them. And so, you know, same, same for you as classical Christian educators, what can we do to be really brave, to be brave in these days uh, when young people are, are wanting to be called into a story that is as big as Christianity actually is. It is a story for the ages. It is a story as old as time. Uh, and so the word became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, an ancient story that, you know, we get the privilege of trying to understand uh, what it might mean for us today. Uh, so let's not have any fear and live with great bravery in these dark days. David, thanks for those words of encouragement. That's that's good to hear because I think our human natures, we tend to focus on what's going wrong, but there is so much that Gen Z brings uh, that's positive that we can lean into. So, well, as we close our time, I know people are going to want to know more about you and the great work you're doing at Barna. What's the best resource or best direction? Uh, certainly your website. Yeah, thanks. Like, yeah. Well, um, I thank you for asking that. And again, it is such a privilege to serve uh, Christians, thoughtful Christians, Christian leaders, educators, our whole team here at Barna. We we pray for you. We think about what it is that God might be asking us to to serve into your uh, leadership and into your community, into your into your efforts. And uh, our passion for Gen Z and for millennials has been, you know, something of a defining feature. We want to help prepare you uh, to be the very best and most faithful and fruitful. Uh, person you can be. You can check out Barna.com. You can sign up for our free email newsletter, uh, which which keeps you informed. Um, the project that I think a lot of the thinking for me and work that went into it was called Faith for Exiles, Five Ways to Disciple uh, in Digital Babylon. Uh, and uh, then we've got a couple of great reports on Generation Z, um, just Gen Z Volume 1, Gen Z Volume 2. We have a brand new study coming out later this fall called The Open Generation about teenagers around the world. 
Um, only 4% of teenagers, um, of, of Christian, of, of young people today, uh, Gen Z, I should say, uh, has a biblical worldview. So, you know, the, the things are stacked against us, but we, with the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, and not just not, not the, whole, the our smartphones, I think we can make a big difference uh, on behalf of this emerging generation. And it's getting our privilege here at Barnum to be able to serve into you as uh, as a classical Christian learning uh, community. And so we um, we are so grateful to be a part of this today. Thanks for having us. You're so welcome, David. Thanks for the great work you do. We look forward to continuing to check in with you periodically and just get updated on the great work you are doing. Thank you again for your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Thanks so much. Hey, don't go anywhere. The Climber Series interview is up next, where you will hear amazing stories of hope and inspiration from fellow Basecamp Live listeners who are sharing the impact of classical Christian education on their life. If you have a story to share, please email us at info at basecamplive.com. Make sure to leave a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. Well, Dale, welcome to Basecamp Live. Thank you. It's fun to have you um, here uh, on the microphone here at the ACCS conference. Um, you caught me in the hallway and said you were um, on a drive uh, to, I guess, go into the, the Hope Academy training. And um, mm -hmm. somehow, somehow, I don't know how this happened, you apparently consumed 50 Basecamp Live episodes, <laughs> which... Um, if it was a food product, yes. you'd have a stomach ache, I think. Right, yes. I, I did not have a stomach ache, but I came home with a renewed uh, enthusiasm. Uh, we were already in transition to classical Christian and uh, knew this is what we wanted for our girls and for yeah. my career. Um, and so that's what led me to be doing all of that in the first place. But then, uh, yeah, binge listening to yeah. Basecamp Live. Well, I'm... Thank you for <laughs> hearing my voice for that long, although I, apparently you were listening to me at 1.5 time, which yes. probably put me right there at Mickey Mouse level. I'm not sure what that was like. But all that to say, Dale, thank you for being a listener. Thank you for what you're doing. Just a fellow climber here, as we like to say on base camp, kind of climbing up the side of the mountain with us, trying to raise this generation. So tell me a little bit of your story. Just mm -hmm. You, you uh, obviously um, uh, are in a classical Christian setting now, but it didn't start that way. So how, what was your own education like? Yeah, sure. So uh, growing up, uh, I was first exposed to the idea of classical by Mortimer Adler reading How to Read a Book. And uh, he talks about uh, just the great conversation and the great books. And uh, that really just captivated my imagination as a wow. middle school student. <laughs> I mean, that's impressive to me. I mean, you're a public school right outside of Chicago. You're telling right. me um, sounds like a good school. But I mean, what prompts a middle schooler to pick up an Adler book on how to read a book? Most middle schoolers aren't even reading books. So right. Well, the title's funny. And so, yeah. you know, uh, maybe a seventh grade young man <laughs> uh, will at least dip his toe into something for the, the sake of the, the comedy in it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, what I found was uh, an awesome book. Yeah. And that kind of got you interested in maybe there's a better way to educate, a better way to, to, to um, manage uh, the raising of the next generation. So then what was kind of next for you in your own life journey, kind of heading towards school? Yeah, so um, after graduating high school, I went on to Cedarville University and uh, studied Bible teacher education. I wanted to teach Bible in a Christian high school. And uh, after that, um, uh, actually I was in China for a year doing some missions and, and then came back from that, got married and went to seminary just because um, I wanted to be even further 
qualified and and shaped um, for the sake of teaching students to to love the Lord. Yeah. And um, so right out of that, I took a position as an administrator at a small Christian school up in uh, rural Wisconsin and uh, led that for six years. And we were semi-classical. And uh, the way I've described that to people is that that was kind of uh, scratching an itch for uh, me and my wife that uh, we didn't even know we had and um, after that time, I uh, led a uh, non-classical Christian school um, in Illinois and uh, kind of realized uh, some of those classical components we, we really missed and uh, really wanted to go back to that, not only for my career, but uh, actually even more so for our own children. Was there, was there kind of an overriding um, um, concern or like a defining moment where you went, okay, that's it. We are going to go find a classical Christian school. You know, it, I, I don't know. I think it was more of a slow awakening and, and a realizing, you know, COVID was a lot of extra strain and, and there was a lot of contention with that. And, um, and I think it, really what, what I've seen is that our generic Christian, our traditional Christian schools are really founded on an imitative model, that they are really just imitating what they know and what they've seen in the, the government schools. And and I think we can do better. Yeah. I know we can do better. I know we can. Yeah. Well, well, and then that led you, with your own children, you, you tell the ages of your children. Where yeah, you guys seven, in that six, and three years old. Wow. And so our, our older two will be attending Doxa Christian Academy this fall. It's a startup school in the Milwaukee area. And uh, our youngest there will be at home with mom for another yeah. year. Well, and I love the name Doxa. You were saying that's a... Yes, that's, that's Greek unusual. for glory. So that's a, you know, you got, you're part of this. I probably, you know, no one's really fully ascertained the level of growth and impact happening nationally, internationally with startups of classical Christian schools. So you guys are having your very first year this coming fall, I mean, mm-hmm. you're, and I know there are hundreds, if probably not thousands, it may be, of schools that are assembling with folks saying, we got to do something different. So you're part of right. a, a big wave right now coming through. Yes, exactly. It's very exciting, and, and it's a good time to be a startup because we have so many uh, brothers and sisters doing yeah, it Yeah, a lot us, of so people championing. We're a big cohort, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, a lot of folks on your side, and I love the name, I love what you guys are doing, and what a blessing to get to take your kids to work every day. I, I, that was one of my experiences. Oh, yes. So absolutely, most folks, it's you know, go to go to work with dad once a year. They go to work every day with dad. And, yeah, uh, we'll be yeah. blessed for it. Well, great. Well, thanks again, Dale, for being a listener. And um, you know, hopefully, the next uh, fifty episodes will be uh, spread out <laughs> maybe a little bit more. <laughs> well, I'm all caught up now. Okay. So, well, yeah. you are. You are a. Uh, we should. We should come up with an award for. Uh, I don't know, star climber or something for uh, <laughs> one who has endured the longest. Well, I just yeah. really appreciate what you're doing. Well, and, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's great. It's encouraging. And uh, yeah, it keeps us, keeps us moving forward. Good. Well, thanks for being part of the, the group.